morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Before I get into the message today, I want to mention what I uh, talked about at the beginning of the message last week, and that is uh, a plan that we have to focus on something this particular year. I mentioned it last week, and I want to update you on it this week. Uh, the statement that obviously best summarizes what we are about as a church this year and every year is our mission statement. This is our mission statement. We are about thoughtfully inviting broken people to experience transformation in Christ. Now, everybody is broken. We're all broken. And those of us who've decided to follow Jesus, we have begun to experience the power that Jesus has to begin to put the pieces of our life back together again. None of us are all together, but we've experienced his power to transform us. And because of that, we don't want to keep this to ourselves. We really want uh, the people in this community, more and more of them, to come to experience the same power that we've come to know. But that dream that we have is not just going to happen because we really want it to happen. We're going to have to take action on that and take regular steps. So each year, what we plan to do as a church is have uh, something that we can focus on that will help us make progress uh, in accomplishing the assignment that God has given us in this community. So this year, we've got um, two statements. One is a kind of a dream statement that paints the picture of what we want to really focus on this year. And the second statement is some very specific ideas. So here's the statement. The first sentence says, we want to become a church where the gospel moves out from us like a groundswell that begins to bring restoration to the people in this community. That's kind of the big picture. This is the specific. Over the next year, we will spend 4,000 hours praying for opportunities to show and share the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, with 1,000 people in our community. Now, that's a big stretch. And that would be amazing if God allows us to accomplish that. But that's what we want to try to accomplish this next year. And we've started with prayer because asking God to work in the hearts of the people that we know is the best place to start. We could get busy doing all kinds of activities, but if God's not behind it, we're just spinning our wheels. And so because this is our focus, we're going to be doing a lot of different things over the course of this year that will invite us all to engage more and more in prayer. But we're starting, the first step we're going to take is we're going to do something that's called Pray for Five. Here's the idea. We're asking uh, everyone to consider being a part of this, and we're asking you to pray for five people in our community that you regularly interact with. They're in your circle of movement some way, and they're not a part of any church. So if you're praying for somebody that's maybe out of the area, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, that's fine. Keep praying for them. But we're asking you to try to focus on five people that you interact with that are not part of any church. And then we're asking you to spend five minutes a day praying for these five individuals by name. And we're asking you to do that five out of the seven days a week. And then we're all going to do this together for the next five weeks. So that's five people, five minutes, five days, five weeks. Now, some of you may think, well, I, I can't think of five people. I can think of two. Maybe I can think of three. That's fine. Sign up for this and start with the two or the three that that are clearly uh, ones that you can pray about, and then spend the rest of your time asking God to introduce you or show you who else you can add to the list of people that you can pray for by name. So here's how it's going to work. On the back of that connection card, in that little spot that Dale pointed out that said sign me up for, if you want to be a part of this and you didn't sign up last week, then just put the pray for five in that uh, little category there, and then we'll be able to know that you're signed up for that. And if you do that, What's going to happen is tomorrow we're going to send you a text message, so be sure that we have your phone number on the front that you want to use us to text you. That's how we're going to communicate with you on this. And that text message will have some 
ideas of what to pray for, some tips on how to be consistent with this, and a lot more information over the next five weeks. So our plan is, and we will start this tomorrow. So tomorrow, Monday the 30th of September, is the beginning of the five weeks. So let me just do the math on this. Uh, our, I mentioned last week that we were planning and praying for you know, maybe 200 people that would be a part of this. Now, so far, we've had 303 people sign up just in the first week. So it's pretty exciting. So here's the math so far. That's five minutes, five days, five weeks. That's 125 minutes times 303 people so far. That's 631 hours that, that will be spent over the next five weeks praying for people in this community by name that are not part of any church. Just imagine what God might do as a result of our prayers. So we invite everyone to be a part of that. If you haven't signed up, you want to be a part of that, again, just let us know on the back of your connection card, and then we will begin uh, the five weeks of prayer starting tomorrow. Now you can go ahead and turn back to the message insert to follow along in the, the message today. We're talking about gender in this series. It's obviously a very hot topic in our culture right now. There is no shortage for ideas on the topic. There's a lot of material that you can read or you can watch online on this particular topic. But we are focusing our attention on the creation story found in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. Now, we began the first week with the short version of the creation story as it relates to gender. And here's the short version. It's one verse, Genesis 1, 27. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is an important starting point because it describes that at the very core, down deep, of who we really are, are two important realities. The first and most, most important thing about us is that we are made in the image of God. Much can be said about that, but the summary statement is we need God. Because we are made in his image, we need a relationship with him. The second reality at the core of who we are is our gender. We are either male or female. Now, we're talking more about what that means, but the summary statement is we need each other. Whether we marry or we don't marry, we need the other gender to fully reflect God and do his will on earth. That's who we are down deep, below the surface. Now, floating on the surface of these two core realities is the individual. We're this person kind of floating in this boat. And we all have different personalities. And we are raised in different environments. And we develop different preferences over time. And that's why this, this boat can move. There, there's a range that, that we all have. That's what makes us unique individuals. Now, most of the gender conversation that's going on in our culture right now is about surface matters, what we often refer to as stereotypes, you know, what men or women can or cannot or should or should not do. But in this series, we're looking below the surface to what it is that anchors a man and a woman to their gender and to God. The question we began looking at last week, and we'll continue this week, is this. What strengthens and weakens the masculine and feminine soul? Now, the answers to this question for both genders, for both men and women, are not mutually exclusive. I mentioned last week it's kind of like men's and women's vitamins. You know, men and women need a lot of the same vitamins in order to thrive. That's why if you look on the side of the bottle, you know, there's a lot of the same kind of vitamins there. But according to the National Institutes of Health, there are unique needs for each gender. For example, women tend to need more iron. But that, of course, doesn't mean that men don't need any iron. There's just some differences there. 
And it's similar when you look below the surface at the human soul. There are a lot of similar needs that we have at a soul level in order to thrive. That's because we both are made in the image of God. But there are some uniquenesses in our gender at a soul level. So as I talk about what supplements the strengthening of the male and the female soul, I am not saying that the opposite gender gets a pass in these areas or has no ability in these areas. What I am saying is that a deficit of these items is particularly damaging to the gender in question. Now, in the creation story, God identifies the unique power that is resonant in each gender. The power of both is equal in its capacity and in its value, but it's different in its function and its operation. Last week, we looked at the male soul. Today, we're going to turn our attention to the female soul. Most of the gender efforts over the past 100 years have centered around female empowerment. 100 years ago, women couldn't even vote in this country. You may not know this, but 50 years ago, in most states, women could not obtain credit without a man. But today, women own an estimated 12 million businesses in this nation. That's a 1,200% increase over the past 40 years. So women have more power than ever before in our culture, and that is a good thing. But for all of the gains of empowerment that women have experienced, when it comes to what it really means to exercise power as a woman, there's a collective amnesia. Most people do not know what it really means to be powerful as a woman, whether that woman owns a business or whether she's at home raising kids. We don't know the kind of power that women wield at a soul level. Now, it's obvious that the physical power of men and women are different. An average man can lift more than an average woman, but an average woman lives longer than an average man. Now, we have different strengths and different weaknesses physically, and it's the same with our souls. The feminine soul, as I said, is just as powerful as the masculine soul, but their type of power is different. So here's how I would describe feminine power. This is the first point in your outline. Feminine power is the ability to pull life together, to pull life together. Now, that sounds a little vague, doesn't it? What, what does that mean? I mean, it sounds good, but what does it mean practically to pull life together? When we talked about masculine power last week, the, masculine, the key to masculine power was to take responsibility. So isn't there an equally clear phrase for feminine power? I mean, everybody knows what it means to take responsibility, but what does it mean to pull life together? Can't we come up with a, a really clear phrase for the feminine soul? Well, there really isn't one that's as clear. And part of the reason is that women, it turns out, are just more mysterious. <laughs> Not just to men, but even to themselves. I told my wife at one point recently when I was working on this message that I was working on unraveling the mystery of the feminine soul. And she said, man, that would be helpful. Let me know if you figure that one out, you know? Well, we are going to unravel, I think, a good part of the mystery of the feminine soul, but, but it's still going to involve some mystery. It's not going to be the same kind of thing as it was for men. Now, the mystery of womanhood begins with the creation of the first woman, Eve. She came about in a very different way than the first man, Adam, did. How did God create the first man? 
Well, from the dust of the ground, we are told. And he named Adam, Adam, which means in Hebrew, little dirt. So he came from the dirt, and God called him. This was kind of a play on words, a nickname, called him little dirt. Why? Well, we talked about this last week. It's because farming represents what's at the core of the masculine soul. What a farmer does is they mark out a plot of land that they attach their name to, and then they take responsibility for it, and they work it to produce food. So a man is to mark out some part of this world. It doesn't have to be actual acreage, but some part of this world that he puts his name on, and then he works diligently to take responsibility for it to produce something that is a blessing to this world, something that is good. So a man is never more powerful than when he moves to take responsibility. But how did God create the first woman? Was it from just a different pile of dirt? No, very differently. He took a rib out of the man and used that material to create the first woman. And she was called Eve, which means life giver. The point is pretty clear. Just as she came from the body of another, others would now come from her body. That's how life would move forward. She would be the life giver. But this unique beginning describes more than just the fact that women will be the ones getting pregnant. I mean, femininity at its core is not about having babies any more than masculinity is about farming. It's about what those images represent at a soul level. Being made in the image of God, both sexes have, as I said, equal power. But their power moves in a different direction. This is the key to the difference. It's the direction of the movement that distinguishes the difference in the powers. So God calls Adam with the Hebrew word male, which means the remembering one. He is to bring the memory of God into this world. His power moves from inside out. He is the remembering one. And God calls Eve by the Hebrew word for female, which means the receiving one. That is power from a different direction. Her power moves from outside in. His moves from inside out, hers moves from outside in. A good way to think of this in an image form is this. Male power is kind of like the power of a motor. Female power is like the power of a magnet. Both can have tremendous power. But the direction that the power is generated is different. A motor is a, a pushing kind of power, usually. A magnet is a pulling, attracting kind of power. So why do we need a magnet at a soul level? Well, to pull life together. See, it turns out at the core of our life, at a soul level, is this need for relationship, both with God and with each other. How are relationships formed? Are they two people being pushed together? I mean, just think about friendships. How do, how do friendships form? Do, does someone from the outside say, you and you, friends? You be friends. No, that doesn't work that way. You, you can't push friendship. Friendship occurs as people are drawn to each other, maybe by common interests, common thoughts. There, there's a pulling together that forms that relationship. How about marriage? 
Well, in our country, we don't have arranged marriage, so there's not this you and you get married, and we're grateful for that. So the way marriage occurs is, again, two people are drawn together. It's not a, a pushing or a forcing from the outside that makes that a relationship. It's the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. How, how does a person form a relationship with God? Does someone push them into that? That never works. I mean, maybe there's someone on the, the list of five that you're going to be praying for that you really care about, obviously, and you want them to have a relationship with God, but if you push them, that's not going to work. The only way someone has a relationship with God is, is they're drawn to it. God draws them to himself. So the movement of relationships is more of a, a pulling in than a pushing out kind of thing. That's why we need the magnet. Men, now, of course, men are capable of developing a relationship with God and with others. It just tends to be more of an afterthought for men, not a focus. This is why we need the magnets to help us remember that at its core, life is really more about relationships than it is about accomplishments. Now, we all tend to forget this, but it's the women, it's the magnets that really help us remember this more than anyone else. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that a woman can't or shouldn't accomplish anything, and it doesn't mean that a man can't or shouldn't connect with anyone. Now, we're, we're, again, we're talking about the sweet spot, the center of the particular gender power. So the power of God is best reflected through a man when he moves out into his world responsibly. And conversely, the power of God is best reflected through a woman when she draws people in towards herself and ultimately to God. The difference is the direction. And this difference at a soul level shows up in men and women regardless of whether they are top CEOs or whether they're staying at home raising kids or doing something else. I read a book years ago. It's put out by Harvard. It's conducted by a Harvard researcher. Her name was Carol Gilligan. She interviewed successful professional men and women. So these were men and women that were at the top of their professions. And she asked them simply to describe themselves. And the differences were so fascinating that she turned it into a publication and published the book. The book is called In a Different Voice. It's a fascinating read. It's not a Christian book. It's put out by just a researcher at Harvard. And what she discovered was that whenever she asked women the question, tell me about yourself, they almost always would define themselves in the context of their relationships. In other words, the first things out of a woman's mouth, even a top CEO, would, which she would talk about, maybe her relationship as a mother and how many kids she had, or maybe the fact that she was an adopted child, or she might mention that she's married or just recently divorced. She would talk about her relationships in some way. That would be the, almost always the first thing out of her mouth, that category. Men, on the other hand, would tend to define themselves as persons who had achieved something. So you know this. I mean, you ask a guy that you're, you've just met, you don't know anything about him, tell me something about yourself. And what you'll normally get is a resume, right? <laughs> well, I worked here and I did this. and I, I mean, are, is there anyone else in your life? Oh, people, right. Um, <laughs> I mean, that just tends to be the way it is. Now, not always, but that, that's what she discovered in a different voice. So it doesn't matter how much they've accomplished. 
as men or women, women tend to speak in terms of the context of their relationships. The magnet is looking at what's going on around in relationships, and the men are talking about their accomplishments. Now, what happens after the creation of Eve gives us the first clue in the creation story as to where this, this female power is centered. This power in a woman is centered in a woman's beauty. Right after God created Eve, we read this in the next verse, Genesis 2:24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, I want you to notice the direction of the movement in this verse. It is the man who is leaving his family to be united to his wife. But doesn't she do the exact same thing? Yeah, of course she does. So why not just say, for this reason, both men and women will leave their families of origin and form a new family in marriage? Well, because the purpose of this verse is to describe the movement that drives most marriages. Not a description of the facts of a marriage, but the movement behind the marriage decision. Not in every case, but in most cases, the way marriage begins is some woman turns some guy's head and gets him moving. I mean, that's the way it was for me. I saw my future wife, Rebecca, handing out programs at church, and I decided that's the door I wanted to enter into the church service through. I I started moving that way. And that was just the beginning of movement. As I talked to her and got to know her a little bit, I kept moving in that direction. And I kept moving in her direction. Now, it took two years because she wasn't near as impressed with me as I was of her at the beginning. So it took two years of me pursuing her and us working through a lot of challenges and a lot of obstacles until we finally got married. Now, when you think about it, that's some serious power, isn't it? I mean, for someone like me, who's got my whole life ahead of me, all of my plans, all of my dreams, and all of a sudden, I change course, and now the majority of my life has been spent with this one woman. That's a serious magnet. That's a lot of power. And it's centered in her beauty. It was her beauty that first turned my head and then got me moving in her direction. I mean, there's just no dispute that women are by far the more beautiful of the two genders. We know this. If you're questioning that, if you want proof, just go to any department store and look for the men's department. I know there's some exceptions, but, and there are some men's stores, but I'm talking about the department store. If you, let's just say you go walk into a department store and you're just trying to find a pair of Levi's as a guy. It will be buried in some far off corner that you can only get to after you've walked through literally acres of women's clothes and cosmetics and beauty products. And it'll be buried in the basement or on the top floor in some corner. And when you look at the stats of how much women spend on beauty products, clothing, beauty products, I mean, it's, it's way outspending us as men. It's almost as if the beauty industry and men have both come to an agreement that there's just really no point in spending too much on us. I mean, that's kind of the agreement. I mean, it's true. There's just, I mean, there's just not that much more that can be done. I mean, for the guy, you know, it's just like, hey, 
Take a shower so you don't smell. Comb your hair, maybe. Shave. No, not if you want to look cool. Don't shave. Put on some deodorant. Put on anything, really, and walk out the front door. You're good to go. You could spend another hour. It's not going to make much of a difference. It's not really going to help you much. Now, we, we know this. But sadly, when it comes to feminine beauty, we, we tend to forget, both men and women forget, where the center of feminine beauty resides. We tend to think it's on the surface. It's not. The magnet is located in the soul of a woman, not on the skin. She has been created in the image of God, and her original design is to attract attention, not primarily to herself, but ultimately to God. That's the reason for the magnet. Psalm 31.30 makes this point very clear. It says, charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Physical beauty and personal charm are the things that we see on the surface. That's how women attract attention externally. The problem is they, they don't last. It says charm is deceptive. I mean, charming personalities are great, but it's one thing to be charming when you're on a date. It's a real challenge to be charming 24-7. You know, after you get married, you move in. That, that's a challenge. So eventually, the real you is always surfaced, both for men and women. And beauty is fleeting. You know, we're spending a lot of money to try to slow it down, but it's a juggernaut. It's a race against time that everyone's going to lose. And so God's desire is that women might discover their true and highest calling. And that is attracting others not just to themselves, but to God. Now, how does a woman do that? Where do you get that makeup? What outfit is that? Well, it says here, she fears the Lord. Now, in the Bible, the term fear of the Lord does not describe someone who's scared of God and runs at the thought of his name. It describes someone who takes God more seriously than anything else. She fears God just like she fears gravity. It's real. And that means her main goal is to please God. No one does it perfectly, but she, over and over again, she works to align her life with what is pleasing to God. That's her main goal. And whenever a woman does that, the result is an attraction that lasts. And the reason is because it comes from her soul, not from her skin. So feminine power is centered in a woman's beauty. And then secondly, it is protected by a woman's intuition. And we talk a lot about woman's intuition for good reason. When sin entered into the world, it affected the genders differently. We talked last week about what God said the effect would be on the male soul, the challenge now of taking responsibility and why men tend to go passive. But here's what it says about women in Genesis 3.16. Because of sin, to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, later, we're going to talk about why there's pain 
But I want to focus right now on this statement where it says, your desire will be for your husband. This is speaking of women who decide to get married. If you decide to get married, your desire will be for your husband. This doesn't mean you'll like him. Well, you will to get married, probably. But what this is pointing to is the fact that you will now be fine-tuned into this relationship. And that has an implication for women. Because women have this unique power to pull relationships and life together, they are usually the first ones to sense when relationships are beginning to fall apart. So if a marriage is struggling, it's usually, not always, but it's usually the wife who knows long before the husband does. There have been several times in our marriage, my wife and I, where she said something like, I, I just feel like we're, we're drifting right now or we're, we're not connecting. We're kind of drifting apart. And in every case, my response has been the same. Huh? Well, that's news to me. I, really? And usually, if we sit down and consider this, it turns out she's right. I thought everything was fine. But she's noticed that there's some cracks that are beginning to form. So if you want to know what's going on, it's the women that you really need to talk to. If you want to know how a marriage is going, don't listen to the guy. He doesn't know. (laughs) I mean, he's got a general idea, but it's the women that really know. You know, if, if you've got kids, you ask the father, hey, how are your kids? Oh, they're great. And you look in the background and the wife is going, that's the one. If you really want to know, so tell me about the kids. She'll tell you what's really going on. It's true in an organization, you know, in a business or any organization. If generally, if you ask the men, how, how, how's the business? If the bottom line's okay, they'll say, oh, it's going great. But if you really want to know how people are doing, the health of the organization, it's usually, not always, but it's usually the women that have got the best read on this. It's their intuition. So if you're a guy, it's really, really important for you to ask the women if you want to know. And this is the challenge, is a lot of men don't want to know. This is why men tend to respond to this intuition with an irritated roll of the eye. Because for most men, when they discover, oh, my marriage isn't going great, or this business isn't going great, or my kids aren't doing great, you know the first thought a man has? Oh, man, that's another weed i got to work on pulling up now. That's more work. So men work really hard on being intentionally dense so they don't have to do more. (laughs) Now, they hear what you're saying, but they're pretending that they didn't hear it so they don't have to do anything. This is why men tend to not see the tremendous gift that God has given us through the women. The women are offering, through their intuition, they're offering everyone a glimpse into the very nature of God himself. In the Bible, God describes himself as three persons and yet one God. Three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is at its essence a magnet that is so powerful that we had to invent a new word for it. The word is Trinity. That's a made-up word. 
we had to come up with some word that described how can you possibly have three persons in such unity that it's one being? That's the essence of who God is, three in one. And it's the women that reflect this and know this best. But for every strength in a broken world, there is a weakness. And the feminine weakness is to push life away. To reverse the polarity of the magnet and start pushing rather than pulling. Why would a woman do that? Well, as a woman begins to pull people together, she encounters a problem. And the problem is pain. Sin brought pain into this world, and it's the women that feel it most. Before sin had entered the world, there was no danger in being a magnet. Everything that was being pulled in was good and safe. It only produced life and goodness. But now, because of sin, death has entered into the equation, and it stalks every one of us. No one feels this danger. No one encounters this pain more than women do. You know, that's why the introduction into womanhood begins with a monthly cycle of what? Pain. Both physically and emotionally, her body every month is racked with pain. And when she gives birth, it's painful. You know, when our two children were born, you know, I lost a little sleep. But that's about it. My wife, I mean, if you've seen this, unbelievable how much pain women have to go through just to give birth. When my wife and I lost two children in the fourth month of pregnancy and found out that we weren't going to be able to have any more kids, it was hard. It hit us both really hard. But you know, it was much more painful for my wife, and it continues to be harder for her. It was a long time ago. But I asked her recently, do you think about that much? And she said, oh, yeah. Me? If someone else has a miscarriage, I think about it, but not much more than that. You see, it's when life hurts that every woman faces a really hard choice. And the question is this, is will I trust in God's goodness enough in the middle of this pain to keep attracting life towards me? Or will I give in to fear and reverse the polarity of the magnet in my soul in order to protect myself from future pain? Will I start pushing life away? Because life is so painful. People don't like to be pushed. When you start pushing people, they'll push back. They will give you distance. You know, it happens in marriage. You start pushing in marriage, that relationship starts flying apart. That's what it means when it says he will rule over you. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. This is not saying he'll be the one barking orders and you'll be the one obeying. What this is saying is that no matter how hard you push, your man will never follow you. He will push back. The reason is that he is wired at a soul level to take responsibility for this marriage. 
Even if he doesn't know it, that's who he is at the core. And so until he does take responsibility for this marriage, he will never do what needs to be done, no matter how hard you push him to do it. I mean, you might get a momentary, he's changing. But if he hasn't decided to take responsibility and own his responsibilities, he's not changing, he's stretching. And like a rubber band, he'll go back to the way he is. Now, I'm not saying that women should never push. If you're a woman, and particularly in a, you're in a leadership role, you have to push. You can't just pull. You know, for example, let's say you lead in, in business. You can't just sit in your office as a woman and expect people to know what needs to be done because you're a magnet. No, you, you're going to need to push. You're going to need to initiate some things. You know, if, if you're a mom trying to get kids in the car, you can't just sit in the car and wait for the power of your feminine beauty to get them in the car seats. That will never work. That's not how the magnet works. You're going to need to parent. You're in leadership. You're, you're the adult. And that requires some pushing. And pulling doesn't mean that you just need to be quiet all the time. That's not at all what pulling means. Y- you need to speak up, ex- especially because of your power of intuition. You, you know some things that the people in your life really need to know. So you need to speak up. But as you speak up, it will be a whole lot more helpful and more powerful if your speech is of the attractive kind, not the demanding, angry kind. You can say something with tremendous insight. But if you say it in a demanding, angry, pushing kind of way, it won't be heard. Now, in a fallen world, it is dangerous to be a woman. It's dangerous. That's because beauty doesn't just attract goodness. Both good men and bad men are attracted to beautiful women. Magnets attract. And so they need protection. So if you are a woman and right now you're in a relationship where you're being abused... You need to get away now, this afternoon. This is why there are many organizations that have been set up in our nation and in this area to help women get shelter because beauty needs protection. But in a broken world, there is no way to avoid the pain and the disappointment that comes in every family. And in every relationship. If it's abusive, get away. But if it's painful, if it's disappointing, if it hurts, that's this planet. There's no way to get away from the pain. And if you allow the pain of the past, the disappointment of an event, or the pain of the present to turn you bitter and hard and angry and demanding, you will find yourself pushing people away from you and pushing people away from God rather than pulling life together. And you'll just get angrier and more and more bitter because at your core, you're a magnet. You're designed to attract, not push. Your greatest power is when the magnet is running on full strength 
because you trust God and his goodness. Now that's a hard assignment. But that's at the core of what it means to be a woman. So let me give you a practical suggestion. I want to offer a practical suggestion for both the men and the women in relation to the direction of their power. Life, for all of us, moves forward on two tracks. These are the two tracks. We initiate, and then we respond. And then we initiate, and then we respond. This is the way life is. This afternoon, you're going to initiate maybe a conversation, maybe an action, and then you're going to respond to the people or the circumstances and to God. So we're always moving forward. The, the future unfolds on these two tracks, initiation and response. And as wem- women and men, we need to do both. But the center of our power rests in one track, not in both tracks. We need to do both, but we really need to lean into one particular track as men or women. Here's what I mean. A man who is operating from the very center, the sweet spot of his masculine power, he is doing so whenever he is initiating rightly. Now, he's going to have to respond, but he's leaning into his masculine soul when he's initiating rightly. Conversely, a woman is operating from the very center, the sweet spot of her feminine power whenever she is responding rightly. Now, she's going to need to initiate some, but as she leans on this, that's where she gets her real power from God. So here's how you apply this. As you face the challenges of life, I mean, just think of a a challenge right now, a problem right now that you're struggling. A good first question for the man is this. How might I take initiative in this area? Now, there may be other questions to ask. There probably will be. But I think the best first question for you as a man, the first move is, what can I do to initiate better or more rightly as I face this problem? The reason I say that is because the struggle that men have with sin leads them to be more passive, to be more responders in life. And therefore, to counter that sin, they've got to lean heavily into it. They're probably not initiating rightly in some ways, and that's making the problem even worse. And if you're a woman and you're facing a challenge, the best first question for you is how might I respond differently to them, to God? Now, again, you're going to need to initiate, obviously. Life moves forward for all of us on both tracks. But the tendency of a woman, out of the risk of being a woman and out of the fear that comes out of that, is to do more initiating and focus less on the responding. Our culture has learned the power of feminine attraction. This is why advertisers link women to their products all the time. I mean, I saw an ad just last week of a beautiful woman standing next to a solar panel. Why? Why? I mean, is she a solar panel expert? Uh, maybe. I'm guessing not because she was not dressed like someone who installs solar panels. And so I suspect that she was just another in a long line of women that have been exploited for her beauty. It is degrading 
It is so degrading to the feminine soul to be used to attract attention to something so small like a solar panel. For a solar panel company to say, you know what, we need to increase sales. Let's just have this beautiful woman stand next to it. That's degrading to women. Women, you have been designed to attract others to God, not solar panels. And that will bring you the greatest joy, the greatest fulfillment, and it will be your greatest challenge. The power of your attraction comes not from your body, but from your soul. And speaking as a man, we need you. We need the magnets. Because we forget that the essence of life is relationship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of our gender. We thank you, particularly for the women in this room. We pray for their protection. God, we pray for their healing. So many women in this room have been hurt deeply and are struggling against hardness and against bitterness and against anger. God, we pray you'd help them to soften and trust you. We thank you for the gift of women that point us to the core of who you are, the three-in-one God. We pray for help as we move forward in our challenges. As men, give us insight into how we might initiate more rightly. As women, give us insight into how we might respond more rightly. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.